0: Well, please do turn with me to Daniel 6. We come this morning, as has been said, to one of the most famous chapters in all of the Old Testament, if not in the whole of the Bible. Daniel in the lion's den. It's a story that has it all. The underdogs rise to power, followed by jealousy of from his enemies, intrigue, defiance, courage, a sentence to the lion's den, a miraculous deliverance. It's no surprise that many children's eyes have grown wide in Sunday schools when this story is recounted to them. But here's the question that I want to ask of this chapter this morning why is it in our Bibles? What is it that God wants to communicate to us through this account of Daniel and his encounter with the lions? And to begin answering that question, let me take you back to a passage from Romans 15, 4, which I cited right at the beginning of this series. There, the Apostle Paul speaks of the Old Testament, speaks of a chapter like Daniel chapter 6, and says, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So, here is a lovely guiding light scripture interpreting scripture, why Daniel chapter 6 is in the Bible, it's here first for our instruction. We see in this chapter, in Daniel, an example of how to live a faithful and distinctive life for God in a constantly changing cultural backdrop. There is so much instruction for us here as Christians today trying to live our own faithful and distinctive lives in what feels like a constantly changing cultural backdrop. This teaches us how to live with character and conviction and integrity in our day and age. But the passage isn't just here for our instruction. It's also here to encourage us. That's what Paul writes in Romans 15 for, Through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Encourage. Encourage. That means to put courage into us. You see, to live faithful and distinctive Christian lives in our present cultural moment, well, it won't always be popular. This passage directs us beyond Daniel and his example to the God of Daniel. This chapter gives us once again a vision of God to strengthen our faith so that we can keep trusting him even when we don't understand everything he's doing and even when it leads us into very difficult situations. We need this. We need this encouragement. It's here to instruct us. It's here to encourage us. But it is also here to give us incredible hope. For as we work through this passage, we're going to see how this passage gives us an incredible outline of the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. All of Scripture is like a shadow. It's like Jesus is standing, towering above Scripture, and in the New Testament, the light falls and the shadow of Christ is cast back over the Old Testament, and we see outlines and shadows of the ministry of Jesus Christ in the Gospel everywhere. This passage is going to help us understand the ultimate deliverance that we can hope for through trusting in Jesus Christ, a deliverance that is much greater than being delivered from physical lions. And so this morning I want to demonstrate how this passage brings us that instruction, encouragement, and hope by drawing out simply three lessons on how to live faithfully for the Lord in a constantly changing cultural backdrop. So that's where we're going this morning. Three lessons on how to live faithfully for the Lord in a constantly changing cultural backdrop. Lesson one. If you want to live faithfully in our present day and age, expect pressures to compromise your convictions to come. And this might seem a little bit initially jarring, like what? (laughs) This is about getting your expectations set. If you want to be a faithful, distinctive Christian in this day and age, you've got to calibrate your expectations rightly. You've got to know pressures to compromise, challenges, difficulties will come. You should expect them. Let's see how that comes out of the first scene of the text in verses 1 to 9. We've recently seen a new prime minister come into power, Rishi Sunak, and one of the first things any prime minister does is he or she organizes their government. This is exactly what the new king in town does in verse 1. We saw last week that the Medo-Persian army had just overthrown the Babylonian Empire. These are the superpowers of the day, warning and we read that the new king of the Medio persian Empire, a man called Darius, sets up his government, 120 satraps. That's kind of like the equivalent of our MLAs, if you remember what they are. Um, they're set up over the various constituencies of the kingdom. In verse 2, we read that there were three officials to be set over the 120 MLAs, satraps, And these three officials were to make sure that the king would not suffer loss. Think about it. They were there to stand against corruption, to make sure that the king's assets were being well managed. Daniel, we read, was placed as one of these three officials over the government in the Medio persian Empire. In verse 3, we read that Daniel fulfilled his role so well as one of these officials that he became distinguished above all the other governors. We're told again that this is because there was an excellent spirit in him. And we looked last week at how that, if we want to stand apart in this world, we need the Holy Spirit. We need God to clothe us and empower us with the help of the Holy Spirit. Daniel was so gifted, so blessed, and anointed with the Spirit that the king, looking on at how faithfully Daniel did his work, he wanted to set Daniel, King Darius wanted to set Daniel as prime minister over the whole Medio persian empire. Daniel was incredibly favored. And though favor can bring one success, that favor can also cause others to be jealous And that's what happens in this situation. In verse 4, we read that the other officials of the kingdom, who maybe felt Daniel got a promotion above them and they didn't like it, they sought to find grounds for a complaint against Daniel so that they could blow the whistle and topple him and get rid of him. They thought to themselves, let's look back. You can, you can see how nothing really changes in politics. Let's look back through his messages, his records, his decisions. Let's find a skeleton in the closet that we can bring out against him to defame him. Well, they search and search and search. You can imagine if they'd had WhatsApp in those days. Let's go back through all his WhatsApp messages. But they can find nothing against him. It's incredible. It's incredible. They can find no ground for any complaint against him because we read, Daniel was faithful. Now, I don't know about you, but that is stirring and challenging to read. If someone went through all your WhatsApps, all your private stuff, all your decisions, all your thoughts, everything over your lifetime so far, would they find grounds for complaint against you? Something to defame you on? Now, again, we know that Daniel wasn't perfect. Daniel was a sinner like any of us, but there's something very impressive here that in his public life the people looked through all of his records and they saw integrity they saw character and they saw faithfulness here was a godly man working quietly and consistently with integrity a faithful witness for God's kingdom what a picture of what each of us are called to be in our places of work can I encourage you this morning to keep being this in your workplace. Last week, we spoke of the power of a quiet, effective, faithful Christian witness in the workplace over a long time. Never underestimate the power of your quiet, faithful Christian living just where God has placed you. Keep going in that. People are looking on. And your integrity and your effort to be a faithful Christian in the workplace, though at times you're stressed out in work and you're frazzled in work and there's people who do your head in in work, keep trying to be faithful. Keep trying to love people. Keep trying to serve. Remember, Daniel wasn't a pastor. He was a civil servant. And look at how his witness just shone. Not just in Babylon, but now in the Medo-Persian Empire. Well, these jealous opponents realized the only way they could catch Daniel out was by setting up a situation where they could pit his loyalty to God against his loyalty to the king and the Medo-Persian empire. These officials who were jealous of Daniel knew the only way to get rid of him was to create some sort of situation, make some kind of law where he had to worship someone else apart from his God. They all knew of his devotion to God. That's what's striking here. Think of it. What made them conjure up this law? They saw Daniel's faith. They saw his devotion to his God. And they knew, here is one thing Daniel never compromises on. His faith. His conviction on how he should live for his God. That's where we'll catch him out. If we can create some situation that forces him to compromise or else, We know he won't compromise, so we'll get him. In verses 68, we learn the details of their grubby plan. They all throng into the king by agreement, and they say, All the high officials of the kingdom are agreed that the king, you, King Darius, should establish a law that whoever makes a petition to any god or man except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. They put pressure on Darius by all thronging in. Notice they all say, We're all in agreement. No mention of Daniel. Verse 8, they urge him to sign this petition to make it unchanging. It's an unchanging degree that can never be remo- revoked. They're, they're just tripling down, locking down. No exceptions, no loopholes. They're making sure that Daniel has no back door out here. Old Darius likes the sound of this. It was the first sin of Eden. Do you remember what Satan said to Eve and to Adam? If we eat of the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we'll die. We'll be judged and says, "Oh, no, you won't die. You'll be like God. And so Darius gets the, the whiff, the taste. Oh, I could be like God. I could be the authority. You see, this would put Darius in the position of God. For 30 days, there would be one mediator between God and man, the man Darius. So in verse 9, poor Darius takes the bait and Daniel finds himself once again as an exile in a foreign kingdom, living faithfully, but standing again with another trial, another life or death situation in front of him. You could almost hear Daniel saying in a private moment, well, I guess not much has changed. New government, same old challenges. And you know, in some ways, there's an important lesson for us here this morning. Temptations to compromise as Christians, challenges and trials, will always be part of the Christian life. In a fallen world, in a broken world, we should expect that at different seasons of life, we will come up against hard things. Of course, there will be quieter seasons where our battle is just to be faithful and not to become lethargic and not to just drift away from the Lord subtly. A lot of our lives are like that. It's just a quiet effort to be faithful and to stand fast when subtle erosive pressures are on us. But there are other seasons in life where acute, hard, painful trials come upon us. And I think when we look at the example of Daniel here, you could have imagined he would have thought, right, the Babylonian empire and the king and all those that tried to throw my friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the the fiery furnace. And when they threatened me with death, if I didn't eat the king's food in chapter 1, that empire's gone. Brilliant. Now some relief. And what do we find in chapter 1 of the new empire? He's threatened with his life again. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, the Apostle Peter wrote to the church under trial, under severe challenge. He said, Beloved, don't be surprised when you face fiery trials, when they come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Jesus said in John 16:33, In this world you will have tribulation. But then he adds, But take heart, I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world for you, little weak Christian. So why do I start here? Well, I think if we're going to make it in this present cultural moment, as a minority in a post-Christian Northern Ireland, we've got to recognize and have our expectations set rightly. We've got to expect there to be times when we're going to face pressures to compromise. When we're going to come against challenges, new governments will come and they will go. But the same old challenges for us as Christians will remain. Living a faithful and distinctive life in an ever-changing cultural backdrop. If you're going to do it, expect there to be difficulties along the way. If you don't calibrate your expectations rightly, when those challenges come, you'll be knocked as if you're not ready. You'll start to wonder, well, hang on, have I not been faithful? Is God punishing me? Is there something that I've missed? And you'll get really unsettled. Whereas look at Daniel, a picture of faithfulness. And yet there he is with another trial, another challenge in front of him. I know some of you as your pastor, I know some of you are going through some very real challenges right now. Uncertainties with your health. Still battling loneliness post-bereavement. Still feeling perhaps even lost in this church that has been a secure place for so long and you're just feeling so unsettled at the moment. The Lord knows this. He has overcome all the hardships so that you can hide and find rest in Him. Don't be surprised by some of the trials you're going through. We've been told that this would be part of faithful living in a broken and fallen world. So keep going. But if we're going to keep going, we've got to learn the second lesson from how we live faithful lives as Christians in an ever-changing cultural backdrop. Here's the second lesson I want to draw from this narrative in verses 10 to 18. If we're going to make it through, We've got to cultivate intentionally a strong and close walk with God. This does not just happen. No one drifts into a strong and close walk with God. This is something we must cultivate. In verse 10, we read that Daniel, knowing full well what could happen to him, he knew that this plot had been made against him, He continued, though, undeterred in his practice of praying with his windows open towards Jerusalem three times a day. As he's doing so, in verse 11, we read that the jealous officials come because they know where they'll find him. They've seen him before. They catch him, defying the king's and their new law. In verses 12 to 13, they run as touts to the king, and they say, King, hang on, didn't you sign a law that anyone who makes any prayers or petitions to anyone but you will be thrown into a den of lions? Such suck-ups, aren't they? Well, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, O king, but he continues to pray to his God three times a day. And it's striking that in verse 14, the king's distressed because Daniel's such an asset to him. And so he tries to find a loophole to free Daniel. But the officials come and they say in verse 15, oh, remember, this is a king that is triple locked, can't be changed. And so the most powerful man in the known world was powerless. In verse 16, he orders that Daniel be thrown into the lion's den and that a stone is rolled over what looks like Daniel's tomb. Now all of these consequences, they came from Daniel's resolve not to compromise his faith as recorded there in verse 10. And what I want to do just now is slow down for a moment and look very closely at verse 10. So if you haven't been tracking with me, here's your chance to get back onto the motorway. Verse 10, let's look down at it. What I want us to do here is learn three things about Daniel that give us insight into what made him the man of God he was. So what I'm doing here is saying, right, what is it that made him so strong and able to stand? Because here in verse 10, you get this glimpse into the engine room of Daniel's life. Here's what made Daniel the man of God he was. First, he held regular communion with God in prayer. When Daniel threw open those windows to pray towards Jerusalem, it wasn't as if he was doing something new. He was continuing his daily practice of communion with God. When a crisis struck, he had already built into his life a rhythm and a reflex that made him go to God. His practice was to stop three times a day to seek the Lord. He was disciplined about this and it bore fruit in his life. I just want us to look at that and learn from it and really encourage you to build into your life a determined commitment to meet with the Lord each day. It doesn't have to be three times, but it can be three times. What I want to encourage you is just to build into your life a determined commitment, a disciplined commitment to meet with the Lord every day. A disciplined prayer life builds the fruit of strength into the Christian life. A disciplined prayer life builds strength into our Christian lives. So let me just ask, what prayer rhythms have you in place? If none, is it any wonder that you don't have the strength that is displayed by Daniel in this passage? Build into your life a disciplined commitment to meet the Lord every day. This will bear fruit in your life. And if you don't know where to start, let me encourage you, just even start with the Lord's Prayer. You could build a habit into your life to start your day, even if you're, you've slept in and you're rushing to work in the car to just settle your heart for a moment and start using the Lord's Prayer. I tried to demonstrate it in my main prayer this morning, what it is to walk through the Lord's Prayer in prayer. Use that as a platform to build on so that you can have a solid prayer life. Would it be said of you, there's a man, there's a woman with a prayer life? Be encouraged. You can do this with the help of the Lord. Daniel had regular communion with God in prayer. Secondly, though, he was rooted in Scripture. Why was he praying towards Jerusalem? He knew that in 1 Kings chapter 8, God had said, if the people sin." and are carried into exile to a foreign land, if in that land they repent and they pray towards this place, that was the temple in Jerusalem, God would come and restore them. Daniel had been in Babylon for a long time. And yet he faithfully kept searching the Scriptures and praying according to the truth he found there. Pray scripture. Pray scripture with hope in your heart. Daniel knew that God said, When my people are in exile, when they're foreigners, if they repent, if they pray towards this place, I'll come, I'll hear, I'll restore them. Imagine them there three times a day, throwing open the shutters, saying, Lord, do as you promised, do as you promised, do as you promised. I'm praying. He was rooted in scripture, and those deep roots meant he wasn't shaken. He just kept doing what he was doing. A man of the word. Again, could it be said of you that you're a man or a woman of the word? It's in your bloodstream. You can be a man or a woman of the word. What's holding you back? Is it just discipline? Is it busyness? Is it priorities that you haven't set yet? Ask the Lord to help you to make you into what you would love to be. So Daniel was one who held regular communion with God in prayer. He was rooted in Scripture. That informed his prayer life. Then thirdly, this is really challenging, Daniel was more interested in the favor of God than the favor of man. We could say he feared the right lion. You might wonder, why did he not feel like it was okay to go inside? And just pray more secretly and keep a low profile. I imagine many of us would have logically worked through it and thought, well, I don't need to pray at the window. And if that means I'm gonna get thrown into the den of lions, then I could just retreat and go secret. Well, I wonder what would have happened if he had done so. We know that all of those non Christian Medio Persian officials were watching him every day. The trap had been set. If they saw him not at his window, I wonder what it would have done to his witness. I think Daniel would have felt that he had compromised. He wanted his accusers to see that he would not be deterred, that he feared the right lion. He was going to keep praying, faithfully living for the Lord, whatever the cost. This is really challenging because remember, he was enjoying such favor from King Darius If he had made an idol out of human favor, he wouldn't have been able to let it go. If he cared most about what people thought of him, if he cared most, if his idol was human favor, I want them to think well of me, there's not a chance he would have let that idol go. There may be in. There may be times in our lives where we have to abandon favor with even friends or family to remain faithful to God. There is a difference between our reputation as Christians and our witness. This really came to the head during the COVID years. Everyone was saying, you know, well, what about the witness of the church? Should we open? Should we close? Should we meet? Should we not? What about the witness? And I remember someone very helpfully saying, no, no, let's distinguish between our reputation and our witness. Our reputation might have been smashed if we'd kept meeting right through COVID. But might we have, in some way, by keeping meeting, have witnessed to the fact of how important church is? Now, I'm not going to get into this because I don't want to. And we were all working our way through and doing the best we could. But it's really important that we make that distinction. Your reputation can be shot as a Christian for your stand of faithfulness where your witness is intact. We are called to be faithful witnesses even if we lose favor. If Daniel had made favor his idol, he would never have been put into the lion's den. But he feared the right lion And he cared more about what God thought of him than what people thought of him. Now, that's a struggle that this pastor has every day. And I know you're all Christians like me. (laughs) We all struggle, don't we? We want people to think well of us, and I think that's okay. But when that fear, favor, and what people think of us, when that becomes the dominating feature in our lives, causing us to compromise our witness, then we might need to check our hearts. Now, with this glimpse into Daniel's walk with God, just from that 10th verse, we see clearly Daniels aren't born, they're made. You're not born like this. Daniel's life was a life of discipline and prayer, Bible study, devotion to God that made him ready for this, the greatest test of his life. And remember, Daniel was an old man at this stage, perhaps 70s, 80s. A life of reading his Bible, of praying, of trying to be faithful. He had faced trials. He had scars to show. And yet now at this stage came his greatest test. We must never hit the cruise control button no matter what age we are. He's an old man. And I just think of the words of Psalm 92, 12 to 14, how they were true of Daniel. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. Listen, brothers and sisters who are in their old age. Our culture, more and more, is setting old people onto the shelf and saying, well, they're not much use to us anymore. Look at the Bible's vision for flourishing in your old age. What a beautiful, dignified picture for you. You're not on the shelf. You're not, you're just, your day's done. No. Here the Bible says, get this vision. Bearing fruit in old age, ever full of sap and green, flourishing like that beautiful tree of Sam 1. You can be that. You can be that. With the Lord's help. So let me ask, do you have a strong walk with God? No matter what age you're at, we don't drift into this. It's cultivated over time with the help of the Lord, with discipline. Well, let me encourage you, don't let another year slip by without growing and maturing. How long will you just stand still? So, the first two main lessons on faithful Christian living that we've drawn from this chapter so far are this. Number one, expect pressures to compromise your convictions to come. That's just a reality. If you're going to make it through, you've got to cultivate intentionally a strong and close walk with God. That is what Daniel has demonstrated so wonderfully here in this text. But now here's our third and final lesson. If we're going to make it through, living faithful and distinctive lives in this changing cultural backdrop, we've got to keep trusting the Lord for vindication, even when things feel like they're unraveling around us. That's what we see in verses 19 to 23. This is really interesting. One of the things you'll notice, if you look carefully at verses 14 to 19, is that though Daniel is the one going into the lion's den, all The eyes are on King Darius. Did you notice verse 14? It's King Darius who's distressed. We're told by the narrator that he's frantically trying to rescue Daniel. Verse 18. Daniel's in the lion's den, and all we hear about is the king's sleepless night. Now, what's that all about? Why does the narrator want us to see the powerlessness of Darius at this stage in the narrative. He wants us to see a contrast between the helplessness of King Darius to rescue Daniel so that we're ready to appreciate God's deliverance of Daniel. You see, remember, Darius took the place of God in the narrative. Everyone will pray to you, Darius. They'll all look to you, Darius. And our writer wants us, kind of with a little chuckle, to laugh and say, okay, here's the most powerful man in the world, completely powerless. Can't help Daniel. And that sets us up for what God does with Daniel in the lion's den. After all the suspense, and notice, Daniel hasn't spoken yet once in the narrative. In verse 19, we come to sunrise, the day after Daniel's night with the lions. The king Bleary-eyed, runs to the den of lions. In verse 20, he shouts in, Daniel, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? It's interesting the way he phrases it. it? Has he been able to do that? And then we get Daniel's first words, only words in the chapter. Did you ever realize that, by the way? Because I was struck when I was studying this. I thought I would see loads of Daniel (laughs) in the chapter. And yes, you do see loads of Daniel, but you only hear him speak in this couple of verses in the narrative. Did you ever notice that? I never noticed that. You sort of blitz over these things and you miss it. Daniel hardly speaks at all in the most famous chapter in the Bible about him. <laughs> Fascinating. You get Daniel's first words from the lion's den. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the lion's mouths. They've not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. Then in verse 23, you get a narrator's comment. Then the king was exceedingly glad. Not wonderful. Commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. No kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the narrator wants you to go, boom! There's his faith on display. This is about him trusting God even when everything's unraveling around him. There are often times in our lives when we cannot understand what God is doing or why he is silent. At times he saves us from guilt having to go into the den of lions. At times he ordains for us to enter it and then stands with us in it. Remember Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fire. At times, he delivers us from the lions for his glory. At times, he does not, so that we will demonstrate that he is our treasure above even life whenever the lions take us. Remember back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. What did they say? Our God can deliver us, O king. But if not... We want you to know we're not bowing down to you. That is the victory of faith. We don't always know what God will do in our lives, but we do know that He will constantly do what is right and good in our lives. He has promised in Romans eight twenty eight. We know that for those who love God all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Daniel chapter 6 does not give us a guarantee of temporal deliverance in every situation we face, but it does give us an outline of an ultimate deliverance that gives us hope in all of our trials. Have you noticed the number of gospel echoes in Daniel chapter 6 that give us shadowy outlines of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ? A band of malicious accusers Accused Daniel of wrongdoing. The same happened to the Lord Jesus. A weak king gave in to the accusers. Think of how Herod and Pilate gave in to the Lord Jesus. The king gave in to Daniel, sorry, and they gave in to the Lord Jesus. In Psalm 22, the Messiah prays to the Father in his suffering and says, "'Save me from the mouth of the lions.'" As Daniel went into the den, and the den was sealed with a stone, the Messiah, Christ, went into a tomb, and it was sealed with a stone. At sunrise, Darius runs to that tomb. At sunrise, the women ran to the garden tomb. Daniel was alive because God sent his messenger to shut the mouth of the lions. Jesus was alive because he himself, would go through death and shut the mouth of the ultimate lion, Satan. As Daniel's enemies were judged themselves in verse 24 and thrown to the lions, so all the enemies of God in the end will be judged for their rebellion against God. And then the proclamation of Darius in the last few verses He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues, works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. That is a foreshadowing of that day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In that day, when everyone sees the authoritative glory of Christ's rescue, all kings and rulers will say, He is the living God. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. He delivers and rescues and saves from the power of the lion. We know today that the ultimate lion is Satan, as we are told by the apostle Peter He prowls around seeking for people, for Christians to devour. He wants to devour our faith. But our dominant lion has gone through death. And he took that weaker lion nose and jaw and he smacked his mouth shut forever through his death and resurrection. The accuser has nothing to say against you because you have Jesus. The lion's mouth has been shut for you. Oh, that is good news. And I'm assuming behind all these faces that you're happy about that (laughs) because that's incredible. Think of that. The lion Satan would stand there when you stand before God and he would spit out accusations about your sin, your unforgiven sin, this, that, the other. And Jesus can say, shut up. I have already shut your mouth. You don't have an accusation to bring against mine. Because of that, we make it through. A pit of judgment that is far more serious than a pit of temporal physical lions. You see, I guess the question this chapter asks us is which lion do we fear the most? How can we live faithfully for the Lord when there's so much in our culture that creates pressure to compromise our convictions? Well, I hope that this has been a bit of a fresh take on Daniel chapter 6 for you. From this chapter, we learn that we should expect challenges to be part of our story. So take heart, faint-hearted warrior. Keep trusting the Lord. He has a good design. When you think of Christ's afflictions, it looked so messy, and yet there was a steady design for good he has promised good for you. We have got to walk closely with the Lord if we're going to live these faithful and distinctive lives in this present cultural moment. There's no shortcut to godliness. Maybe this morning you've heard this and you're just like, I need to start again with my discipline and my focus on the Lord. Maybe you could take up that Lord's Prayer Challenge. Use that in your prayer life. Or maybe just start reading a gospel and get to know Jesus again and ask God by the Holy Spirit to let the glory of Christ just captivate your heart all over again. But then thirdly and finally, this narrative has taught us that in the end, there is a day coming when all the hard things will ultimately pass away. The kingdoms of this world and all the tribulations of brokenness and fallenness will one day fall away. And here, as Darius proclaimed, we belong to a kingdom that will never end. It will never be destroyed. There'll be no more hurt or affliction or pain or grief in that kingdom. And so this passage calls us to live as people with hope, knowing that this age is not all there is, The best is yet to come. And our call is to faithfully keep trusting our God even when we don't understand everything he's doing. That is how the faithful endure in a constantly changing cultural backdrop. We need the Lord to infuse his grace and strength into us. And he is willing to do so. Are you asking him to make you into the man or woman of God that he's created you to be? Call on him this morning afresh. Let's pray. Father, we can't make ourselves into the strong Christians we want to be. We do have a role and a calling to be faithful. But Lord, ultimately, we need you to make us into what we can't make ourselves. Some of us perhaps are looking at our lives and saying, I just can't seem to be disciplined. Oh Lord, you can change that. Some of us might be considering the ways we stumble with sin over and over again, and we just say, Lord, we can't change that. But Lord, you can. Some of us might feel very fearful, and we worry so much about what people think of us that it cripples us and means we're putting ourselves under pressures that you never meant for us to bear. And yet we can't seem to do anything about it, but Lord, you can. So we look to you, we look away from ourselves. Like Daniel threw those windows open and looked away from himself. We look to you, we look to you, the living God, the God who has good purposes for our life to sanctify us and to make us those beautiful image-bearers that we've been created to be. And oh Lord, as we respond now to this and Think more about the beautiful echoes and outlines of the ministry of Jesus in this chapter. That ultimate deliverance from death and judgment through the one who went through the den of lions in his own death and shut the mouth of that lion, Satan. Oh Lord, we stand with Christ with the neck of our enemies under our feet, our sin under our feet. With Christ we stand and we rejoice in the kingdom that will never pass away. But Lord, you know this morning there might be people here and they don't know Jesus. And I just pray that even this morning, hearing something of those outlines of the ministry of Christ would touch their hearts and that they would be saying, yes, I want to belong to this kingdom. As we respond, Lord, we thank you that ultimately it's not up to us to persevere, though we have a responsibility. In the end, we're looking away from ourselves and we're saying, Lord, we're looking to you to preserve us. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. O Lord, may that be our rallying cry this morning as we respond now in song and around the Lord's table. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to respond this morning by gathering around the Lord's table. It's the first Sunday of the month, and we do this in our morning service now. You might be here, and you're not a Christian Well, that's okay. We're so glad you're still here. And please do stay throughout the rest of the service because we want to, again, in this act, demonstrate the preciousness of the Lord Jesus. If you haven't already um, got some bread and the cup there as you were coming in during this hymn, you can nip back and do that and get the elements ready. But we're going to prepare our hearts by singing the first part of this hymn, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. And then we'll sit, we'll just be quiet together, we'll enjoy remembering the Lord in this way as he is appointed, and then we'll respond after and sing again together. So let's make this our heart's response this morning. Let's stand and praise God together.